0: Hello, my name is Daniel Nenny, founder of SemiWiki, the open forum for semiconductor professionals. Welcome to the Semiconductor Insiders podcast series. If you have a topic you'd like us to cover, please post it on semiwiki.com and we'll get right to it. My guest today is Ryan Manick, Vice President of Marketing, Ideal Semiconductor. Prior to Ideal, Ryan spent 15 years at Texas Instruments, which, is, which I consider one of the most influential companies in the history of semiconductors. We can talk a little bit about that. Um, Welcome to the podcast, Ryan. Thanks, Daniel. Glad to be here. So the first question I always ask is, what originally brought you to semiconductor? So I grew up in
1: an engineering household.
0: Uh, My father, an industrial
1: engineer, my older brother, a mechanical engineer. Um, So we had the the mindset growing up of problem solving and, and, uh, you know, a very logical approach to uh, to solving problems, et cetera. I also had a a passion for mathematics and uh, and physics growing up, and so I knew I wanted to do something in uh, in that area. When I um, joined the University of Texas, um, it was a natural uh, decision for me to become an electrical engineer. Certainly didn't want to be a mechanical like my brother, wanted to do something different. Um, and then uh, from there, I worked my way into into power electronics um, at the time in the early 2000s. Uh, There's a lot of money in uh, in research and development into the solar industry. And, uh, you know, I could see these solar panels everywhere and, and you know, really gravitated towards renewables and, and uh, you know, the energy grid and, and the problems associated uh, with that were just fascinating to me and, so that sparked my interest in, in EE, and then quickly gravitated into
0: semiconductors. So was it easy to go to Texas Instruments from there? I mean, you were in Texas, right? University of Texas. <laughs> so my my father
1: actually began his career at TI um, back in the, in the early 80s. You know, he moved our family from uh, West Virginia, uh, where he went to school at WVU, and uh, he spent the first 14 years of his career at TI. And then uh, as it became, my brother also joined um, Texas Instruments after uh, he graduated from uh, UT's rival school, Oklahoma. So for me, it was natural. I mean, we grew up in Dallas. TI has a, a massive presence in uh, in the greater DFW area. And uh, you know, for what I do or what I did at the time as an electrical engineer, I mean, TI was the place to go work in, in semiconductors. So it was a great place to, to start my career and a lot of fun opportunities, um, you know, at, at TI that uh, was able to take on.
0: Yeah, I worked with a lot of people from TI. I mean, TI launched a lot of uh, impressive people and impressive companies, right? And, you know, Morris Chang was at TI, uh, a good friend of mine, Wally Rines, was at TI for 25 years, as a matter of fact, and uh, so many people. I mean, it's such a uh, foundation of the semiconductor, and and they're still quite successful today, which is remarkable. Yeah, it really is. And in fact, the CEO of, of
1: Ideal Semiconductor also began his career at, uh, at Texas Instruments, the CTO. As well, uh, did not begin his career there, but spent uh, about ten years at TI. So you're absolutely right. So many folks uh, begin their careers, or, or even later in their careers, at uh, at TI, and and uh, you know really make a large
0: impact on the on the semiconductor industry. It was actually one of the companies I had an offer from when I got out of college, but I would have had to move to Dallas, uh, California. My uh, soon to be wife just refused. <laughs> she she wouldn't leave California, but uh, uh it it would have been a great company to work for. A little so, bit yeah. of
1: weather changes between between uh the Bay Area and, and Texas, right?
0: Yeah, it was more of a family thing. My uh, wife and I both uh born and raised in Northern California. But uh yeah, it's a little bit different weather. But actually my uh brother and uh one of his children uh live in Austin. Uh he worked for applied material but um, uh, it's a great place. i love love, love Austin. So the second question um, I usually ask is, you know, what, in, what brought you to Ideal from Texas Interest? So as
1: I mentioned previously, uh, the, the CEO and, and CTO um, both spent time at, at TI. I worked very closely with the CTO uh, on a project for a key customer in the Bay Area. Um, so I've known David for uh for well over a decade now and uh you know as as Ideal matured and uh you know became clear that the technology was uh, was ready to go to market David and I reconnected and uh you know an opportunity arose to to join Ideal um you know in the in the marketing role that I'm currently in and you know really what what did it for me though you know in addition to obviously the people is is the technology and I really believe that that ideal has has technology that can be game changing in uh, in the power electronics industry. And you know, as an engineer, you know, having the opportunity to go work on uh, you know such incredible technology and do it next to you know a bunch of really
0: good people is was, was uh, certainly an opportunity I couldn't pass up. Yeah, definitely. So let's get into it. Uh, why did the industry seem to give up on silicon for power semiconductor?
1: Well, there's a lot of history in the, in the power semiconductor space, but you know first, I think it's worth mentioning that really the electronics space, I and mean, the the major trends over the last seven, eight decades in electronics have always been lower cost, higher efficiency and smaller size. You think about cell phones from 30 years ago and how large they were to now, you know, being small enough to fit, you know, in our pockets, you know, these trends uh, in electronics are really the same trends within the power semiconductor space. And so silicon, you know, really has reigned supreme as the number one material, the material of choice for power semiconductors. Back in 2005, um, or the early 2000s, silicon carbide uh, was introduced to the market. Uh, as a potential alternative to to silicon um, they had you know an application as a high voltage you know, Schottky di- diode that uh, you know was actually beneficial compared to the silicon you know fast forward about 10 years you know through the introduction of other wide band gap materials like gallium nitride built on silicon and you know really uh, there was not major adoption uh, at that point of wide band gap, these materials um, were difficult to manufacture, had a higher cost. And so silicon you know, was still um, the leader in the clubhouse for power semiconductors. But in about 2015, 2016, power semiconductors or, or silicon uh, really started to plateau from a performance perspective. And so they were no longer able to. You know find opportunities for lower cost higher efficiency, smaller size in silicon, and so the industry was really left with the with a problem um you know the next the next step function improvement was clear at the time that it really wasn't going to be in silicon, and so this is where the industry really pivoted to to wide band gap and you know despite the challenges with wide band gap the higher cost you know, the, the difficulties in, in manufacturing and availability, um, you know, if, if customers wanted to continue this vector of, uh, of higher efficiency, smaller size, et cetera, they were forced into making this transition.
0: What inspired Ideal to develop the product SuperQ? Well, our founders, our
1: CEO and, and CTO, you know, saw this inflection point in the market. And you know, they believed uh, you know, just under a decade ago that the industry was really betting too much on on wide band gap. And you know, to put it in perspective for you, um you know, in 2022, the total semiconductor market was about 600 billion, 618 billion. About 95% of that Uh, $618 is silicon semiconductors. And so, you know, if you survey the landscape of of fabs, um, you know, there are about 300 fabs around the world that are building on 200-millimeter silicon wafers and 300-millimeter silicon wafers. And all of the investment in, you know, equipment uh, to go build these um you know very high performance semiconductors and really even analog semiconductors in general is all in silicon and so you know making a transition away from silicon is you know a very very difficult challenge and so you know our c e o and c t o looked at the market you know they looked at the problem facing you know the power semiconductor industry and you know, they quickly came up with an idea that, uh, you know, allowed them to go build next generation power semiconductors with, you know, a step function or multiple step function improvements in performance. And they actually leverage the infrastructure that's available today to go build these devices. And so, you know, super Q technology is a method. For building power devices, so it's not necessarily a device itself. It's a platform or a process technology. And you know what's what's great about this um, this platform is um, it can be built on silicon uh, to build power devices in silicon diodes, MOSFETs, IGBTs, power ICs. But it's also material agnostic. Again, it's a method for building power devices, and so it's certainly future compatible with other semiconductor materials, you know, like wide band gap, but, you know, really to, you know, going back to your original question, the motivation is to deliver that next generation performance and do it leveraging the infrastructure that's available today, um, that we can certainly scale very quickly and, and provide, you know, reliable, manufacturable, and available products within the power semiconductor
0: space. So, Brian, we're in a risk first industry is to pursue existing technology for stuff.
1: Yeah, this is a this is an interesting question. In fact, you know, a couple months back, I spent uh, a week at uh, APEC in uh, in Orlando, Florida. So this is one of the top power electronics conferences. Uh, takes place annually spoke to several customers while we were there to, to inform them of, of SuperQ and you know, where we're taking the technology, and uh, I was very, very surprised by you know, a specific question uh, that I kept getting from, from customers at APEC, and, and the question was, how do I drive your device? And you know, there's 30, 40, 50 years of, of you know, Silicon MOSFETs in, uh, in industry and, you know, the drive structures have been pretty consistent. You, know, you drive it, um, you know, with a plus minus plus-minus 20-volt rated gates and drive it at 12 volts, thresholds at, at 3 or 4. Um, you can also tune the gates for plus-minus 30 volts. You can move the thresholds around. But, you know, silicon devices, silicon MOSFETs, um, are very flexible and robust in uh and how you drive them
0: you know after
1: pondering why i continue to get this question um you know i realize really what's what's happened in in industry and going back to this 2015 time period that i discussed before really the industry just doubled down on on wide band gap and and you know really position wide band gap as If you need the next generation of performance, if you need the next level of performance, you've got to transition materials away from silicon. And when you do that, there are a number of trade-offs. But one of them really is, how do you drive the device? And You know, so some technologies require a very accurate
0: uh,
1: drive voltage, plus 20 volts, for example, minus five volts uh, as a negative drive. But, you know, there's a lot of... uh, a lot of sensitivity to that 20 volts uh, for the resistance of the actual product, uh, and then you look at other technologies that require a very, very accurate uh, 5 volts to drive uh, with a threshold you know, somewhere in the 2 volts, but it can't go above 6, and you know bad things can can potentially happen if uh, if that gate voltage goes higher. And so, you know, if you're operating a product like this. In uh, in a high voltage environment where you're switching, you know, 600, 650 volts, uh, there's a lot of noise that gets induced into the system. So driving it again becomes very difficult. And so, you know, looking at it from a from a risk standpoint, it's it's, you know, a bit counterintuitive because though it is a new technology, uh, it's built on a on a platform that's been around for a really, really long time. And so, um, you know, it's a very traditional drive structure, uh, no different than, than silicon devices in the past. And so, you know, from a risk perspective, you know, certainly very low and, you know, going back to a point I made earlier, you know, what's what's so nice about applying SuperQ onto on silicon is just the the broad availability and manufacturability of silicon wafers and I talked about the 300 um, count of 300 millimeter and 200 millimeter uh, manufacturing fabs wafer fabs around the world you know this technology can really go in any of those and so um, you know we have the ability to to scale uh, very quickly and you know I'll just give one more example from from the market a very large name Uh, electric vehicle manufacturing company very recently talked about silicon carbide. And, you know, they are actively trying to limit the amount of of silicon carbide used in their vehicles. And, you know, not that the performance, you know, isn't really good. You can certainly push higher switching frequencies with SICK than you can with with potentially IGBTs, which brings benefits to, to the EV. But, you know, as this, OEM mentioned, uh, silicon carbide is very, very difficult to manufacture uh, and scale, and it's also very expensive. And so, you know, performance gains based on uh, an ecosystem uh, that is very manufacturable uh, and widely accessible is something that the market desperately needs.
0: So today SuperQ is silicon-based technology. What other the materials can like? apply
1: so I mentioned that that uh you know, super Q is a is a method it's it's not an apparatus it's a method for for building power devices and you know if you think about a power device, think of a switch you know just a just an ideal switch, and you know you really want that switch to do two things: one, you want it to block. Ideally infinite voltage. In reality, it's never infinite. But uh, ideally infinite voltage or very high voltage when it's off, and then when it's on, you want it to conduct current with zero losses, ideally or zero resistance. And you know, really, that's what what SuperQ is. It's a way of building power devices to block high voltage, uh, and to do that uh, with also, you know, very very low losses when that switch is on, and so, um, you know, for all the reasons I mentioned previously, doing this on silicon makes a lot of sense for the market. Um, but because it is a method, you know, it can certainly apply to other materials. Um, you know, as those materials mature and you know, as the market need, um, you know, increases for those materials, and so it's a very very flexible platform. That uh, you know can bring a lot of benefits across the entire you know power semiconductor landscape. Um, so not just materials, but also devices. I mentioned earlier diodes, MOSFETs,
0: IGBTs, power ICs, and, and and more. So, what's next for ideal semiconductors? You know what are likely to be the greatest challenges going forward? You
1: know one of the challenges is is certainly um, re-educating the industry and you know for for five to seven years um, you know really the the path to increased performance um, you know the rhetoric has certainly been you know material changes that silicon is has reached its limits or silicon's dead it's not going to be the material of choice for power semiconductors you know we really have to rewrite this, uh, this history and, you know, so much, you know, money was, was invested in, in research and development and university partnerships in research um, to go, you know, move forward with these material changes. And so, you know, pulling that back and, and reorienting uh, the industry and academia uh, to the fact that, you know, hey, this this performance improvement, you know, this same performance improvement that can be achieved through changing materials um, can also be realized with the materials that we're using today um, that, again, bring those manufacturability, availability, and reliability benefits. And so that's going to be, a you know, a challenge for us. Um, you know, certainly it's it's also exciting. And, and you know, there are There's been so much, you know, walking around APEC, you see a lot of of wide band gap there. You don't see a whole lot of uh, silicon improvement. And I think that just speaks to uh, the magnitude of of performance benefits that Ideal has been able to achieve here. And, you know, while a lot of the industry marched down a separate path, uh, you know, coming down the path that we did. With uh, with SuperQ and uh, this and this power device manufacturing method or platform is uh, it's a really fun one to be on. And so
0: you know, doing
1: everything that we can to to uh, show customers and, and show you know the industry and academia that uh, performance gains can be had on silicon. And you know, by the way, you know this is not a one-time gain. Um, you know, there's a huge runway ahead for continued improvements uh, within Silicon. You know, this is a very exciting opportunity for us and and one that we look forward to taking the messaging to the market.
0: One final question, Ryan. Um, How how do customers normally engage with Ideal? So the best way, Daniel, is is through our website. Um, You
1: know, I monitor the website, um, other folks as well. So there are several places um, on www.idealsunny.com, that uh, that people can reach out to us. Um, you know, scroll down to the bottom of just about every page, and and there should be a uh, you know learn more um, entry that uh, that people can submit. So you know, give us your name and, and email address, and we'll certainly get back to you. Um, we are also uh, hiring as well, and. and so if anybody's interested in uh, you know, joining a fast-growing and, uh, and dynamic team, definitely reach out to us via our website.
0: Great. Uh, great conversation, uh, Ryan. It's a pleasure to meet you. And we should touch base again uh, later on this year and, and get an update. Daniel, I look
1: forward to it. appreciate the time and, uh, and the good discussion.
0: That concludes our podcast. Thank you all for listening and have a great day.